If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Hour number two, Jeff Cameron, 293.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Hope this finds you doing well. Good to be with you on a Balls McWednesday recap. From the first hour, obviously, we began by talking about the acquisition of, if you will, make it sound more like professional football, uh, UCF linebacker, now Florida State linebacker, Tatum Bethune. His commitment to Florida State uh, came yesterday on uh, social media. You want to read more about that, you can go to warchant.com. I like the simple, let's do it. Eh, they're very simple from Tatum. Uh, just a simple, let's do it, with a picture of him uh, you know, donning the garnet and gold. Even looks realistic. I like it. That's the one thing about grabbing, you know, kids from the transfer portal at this point before it completely gets bastardized unless there are new rules. Um, but these kids are a lot less dramatic because these are now straight business decisions, not decisions of of whimsical high school kids who are right. you know doing whatever they want. These are people who have been through systems. They've seen it. They know it. There's a desperation to what they're doing when you're in the transfer portal. You know, it's a either well, a big strike yeah. or it's time to get paid. You know, and, and that's what a lot of these kids are making these moves for. And that's why I like when I see a lot of the messages that are coming from Pittman or Tatum Bethune or some of the other let's commitments. Go get it, yeah. They're all ready to go. Kane Lyles was a business decision the whole way, so was Dylan Gibbons, and it's just let's get to work. Good. We need you. Let's we did, get to work. We did uh pontificate at one point. We we certainly speculated that Florida State's successes in the portal, in the transfer portal, even grad transfers, that we thought this could be a destination school for um, a pretty talented group of kids that would be uh, making themselves available this off season, and you know when you when you have somebody as high profile as Jermaine Johnson come in and play the way that he did, or Akir Thomas, somebody like that, then certainly I think it it serves as uh, a roadmap for some of these kids at the very least to consider uh, how Florida State could be a place for them to land and how they would be utilized and how successful they could be. Um, now, you have to sell them on a lot of other stuff, too, but first and foremost, if I'm a kid who's transferring in from a program in which I already start or certainly have a prominent role, i got to know that there is immediate playing time available so long as I don't just completely fall apart in camp. And then, B, i got to believe that they're going to coach me up, develop me, and put me in a position to improve my stock as I move forward. And we've had enough guys do that in the transfer portal so far as to think that um, – Despite the record not being where we want it to be, this could be a place where they could be sold. They could be uh, they could buy in. Uh, I always believe that if you get a guy on campus who's considering Florida State, that Norvell and his staff do a very good job of showing them and projecting for them 
Um, not only where they stand in terms of playing time, but most importantly, the brutal honesty by which they are recruited. Yeah, we need you. Yes, there's a place for you here. We wouldn't be on the horn with you. We would not have reached out if that weren't the case. But understand, this is the modus operandi. And when you look at places in the NFL, it's true, too, where it's required that there's a buy-in and a way of doing things. It allows you to weather the storm. It allows you to handle missteps. That's why I was not as worried about the basketball program, which is a rebuilding year. It certainly looks to be anyhow. Uh, for kids deciding, oh, I don't know, this isn't what I thought. Well, Leonard Hamilton's a certain kind of coach, and there's a certain amount of belief and buy-in you have to have from from, from the get-go, from the jump, to even consider coming to Florida State because he is not going to waver with his standards. There are going to be ways that we operate, ways we do things. There's a belief system, uh, a methodology, uh, and an expectation. Uh, that's true, for example, when I think of great organizations in the NFL, typically there's stability in the coaching ranks. There's a way the Baltimore Ravens operate, even in the midst of a uh, a poor season. They've had a uh, they've had myriad injuries, obviously in particular in the secondary and at quarterback. But Baltimore is a team that week in and week out, despite a five game losing streak, that you would expect is going to be competitive. And they have been. They've had a chance to beat the Rams. They should have won several of these games that they've lost narrowly because they went for two a couple times. All of that's there. That's because organizationally. That nothing changes when things become unhinged. Nothing changes when you lose guys. Another good example would be Mike Vrabel. So look at the Tennessee Titans. It all could have gone off the track. They're the one seed. They've had more guys on injured reserve than anybody else in football, including a superstar by which they designed their entire offense around, and yet here they go. Every week they play a certain way. Nothing changes. This is how we win games. This is the what you are expected to do. Everything from special teams on down. Why do I bring all this up? Well, stability and continuity matter if you're consistent. Only if you're consistent. If the messaging is the same from every coach, and it starts at the top with Norvell. This is a feather in his cap. He has weaknesses. All coaches do, even the ones that I've just mentioned. There's a certain way of doing things in Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin, and that that franchise has been wildly consistent for good reason. Now, they're not having a good season, and they're not going to make the playoffs because there aren't you know, the Colts aren't going to go lose to Jacksonville. But anyhow, the point would be you kind of expect year in and year out they're going to be good. They may have lost a lot, but there's a way they do things, and this is the standard, and it never changes. What I've liked early on, and especially as it pertains to transfer portal guys and the way we recruit them. Now, at some point, again, you got to win some damn games. Gotcha. But Norvell is unwavering in what he believes is the way to build a program and what you have to buy into as a freshman uh, coming out of high school or a, a fifth-year guy or a sixth-year guy in the era of COVID, whatever it might be, transferring in. Okay, that's not going to change. And Jermaine talked about that specifically. I talked to him about that before season ever began, but he later on echoed that in many an interview. So did so many other players. Now, you're either going to like that or you're not. You, you, you're maybe going to go and sit down with a Mike Norvell, and he's going to say, yes, there's a need. We wouldn't have reached out to you. Yes, this is our depth chart, all those things. Here's how we see you. This is what we're going to ask of you. Either you're in or you're out on that, right? Some people just want things given to them. That's not going to be the case with transfer portal guys that come here, and certainly they won't all succeed. But I think anybody that says yes 
to this group is somebody to probably be pretty excited about. Now, there is, most of the time, um, you know, uh, the, the, there is a, a percentage chance, especially when we're talking about transfers or transferees and all that stuff, that it might not work out. Not everybody you bring in is going to work out. I got you. But I think there is an increased chance that it will work out if the messaging is the same all the time from top-end player in transfer portal to maybe guy that just fills in depth. That, I think, is true, and it's something that it's, I think that probably the, the number one aspect of program building that we've now seen consistently through two-plus years with this staff. That's also about setting the expectations from your first contact all the way through the time that you make your choice on a commitment and signing at Florida State or transferring to Florida State, which is you know what we talked about with the recruiting class last year. They were telling them six and six is what they're shooting for. They didn't say ten and two and an ACC Atlantic title. That's why you retained as many players as you did. The Travis Hunter nonsense notwithstanding, that's why you retained as many players as you did because you messaged clearly from the beginning, and that's what happens. With these transfer portal kids, not only are we always among the first two or three schools to reach out to a kid who enters into the transfer portal, and the vigilance that that must take is unbelievable, but we also message properly the first time we talk to you. Our first impression is strong, and that's good, but you're right. It's got to be parlayed into wins, and on that front, you guys talked about it yesterday on Seminole Headlines, but we didn't have a chance to hear the revelation that this era of FSU's offense will be Alex Atkins coordinator, Mike Norvell play caller, versus... The previous iteration, which was Kenny Dillingham, play caller, Kenny Dillingham, offensive coordinator, Mike Norvell, collaborator, and of course has well, the final say. Sure. But that was, it's a much different thing. What's your reaction to the idea that Alex Atkins will not be calling plays? It'll be Mike that's doing so, and Alex is going to do the organizational stuff. Yeah, it's what I thought it would be. It's what I thought it would be. I'm fine with that. Does that. I like Mike the play caller. I do. That's well, yeah. A lot of times play calling might be overblown, but when you do change play callers and you go from an assistant to back to the head man who is an well, offensive mind does that move the needle for you at all, right, all? well uh, let me at the risk of sounding arrogant let me lend some insight into that process as somebody who did the little fun promotional thing where we got to go upstairs at the moor and sit down and listen to mike in the room in which they put together uh the, the play sheet for the week okay so now game plans shift within the realm of what you've, what you've practiced, what you do, what your offensive mindset is, all of that. You're not suddenly radically going to be something else. You always hear people say, why don't we do this? Well, if it's not something that we rep on the regular, you run the risk of really falling to pieces, right? When you kind of go outside of those 100 plays, I don't know, right? So the point is, there's a, there's a massive, it's not, like just, it's not just like our big board we had at the old place. It's a massive board. It goes on for days, and it has shelves, and you can pull one in front of the other, and you can, okay. Mike showed situationally what they put together. I don't think he minds me telling you. Put together for that week's game plan. And it was really not just about, now obviously our play sheet was going to be seriously limited. It was going to be seven or eight base formations offensively and defensively. Um, there was third and long, second, and, all that kind of stuff. But it was real basic, right? You might have a couple of plays under those umbrellas, whereas obviously it's much bigger uh, on a game day. And Mike said that any given time in a game, and he means any game that he's been coaching here certainly, that he is, and he has to, all coaches do, he's got that memorized. He's got his play sheet as well. But that suggestions are made. It's always going to be Mike Norvell's offense. Now, 
what you can call from that sheet is based solely around whatever it was you planned for that week. So if I've got third and short, and I'm just going to use an example here, Mike knows that the OC, whoever it is, can only call plays of about a mix of maybe, say, 15 to 20. If he calls one that Mike doesn't like, it's changed immediately, and it always has been. There is no, like, I've got total autonomy. That ain't the deal. That's Mike's offense. And one of the reasons I'm sure that, you know, maybe, you know, Kenny, Kenny wants to be the guy, right? Kenny wants to be a head coach, Dillingham. So you're of the mind that it's third and two. They're not going hurry up. A play call comes in. It's signaled in. But then they look back. Let's just say they do the little thing with the clap. They look back to the sidelines. That In that moment, Mike could have vetoed and Mike could have. Well, he would have vetoed before it. Okay. Uh, it could have come in, and within a millisecond, he would have done no. And he would have said, buh, buh, buh. That's interesting. Now, now listen. Because he's not the most active guy on the headset when we're have, on the field offensively. Correct. And I my my suspicion is that those corrections or frustrations – uh, from him to an OC would be addressed in a timeout, perhaps in the next series or between series. It would be, hey, man, enough with let's get to harping on this aspect of the game plan, right, whatever specific it is to there. I think most coaches, if you give somebody that role and you want them to call plays, uh, then you are going to give them a chance to sink or swim on their own. It is certainly relative to the game plan you put together. You're, you know, you're the head coach, and you've said, okay, put together the game plan, Alex, but from this, this is what we're exploiting. This is where they're weak. This is our strength. This is how we want to attack that. So he knows already that it's only going to be from this percentage. You know, Now, they, they, they're free to go outside of it, and certainly the coach can invoke whatever he wants when he wants. But it is always still that if your head coach is an offensive mind and he it's his offense that you're running – it's always really him, and that, that's why, you know, it's like when Kirby Smart was with, at Alabama, we know Kirby Smart understands defense. We know he's a good defensive coordinator. We also know that he left there to be a head coach because he was never going to get the credit because that's Nick Saban's defense. That's not, I mean, everybody knows the deal there. But the thing I'd say, and not to liken Mike Norvell to an all-time great, he's got a long way to go, long way to go for that. But there was somebody who wrote the jokes for Rodney Dangerfield, and then there was Rodney Dangerfield. The person who wrote the jokes is a genius, but they can't tell the jokes. They don't have the timing. Correct. The, so, Correct. So my point is, when Delivery, you hear... all of it, yes. Right. When you hear that Mike Norvell is calling plays instead of an assistant, does that resonate in any way? Or is that something that, you know, uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other? Yeah, I'm not as worried about it, especially because I thought it was great that Alex addressed all of it by saying, well, listen, as an offensive line coach, I'm intimately involved in all of those things anyhow because I have the largest segment group that has the biggest impact on play-to-play, down-and-distances, any, anybody out there. So I'm always going to be intimately involved. I'm always going to, if anything, I have a larger say. Uh, I mean, he kind of intimated that that because you're an offensive line coach and you're responsible for those five guys, uh, that, that, you know, it's, it's different than if you're just responsible for the running back or the quarterback or a, you know, a, a wide receiver group. So, no, I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I kind of want – by the way, I also would say this. I think if I'm Mike Norvell and we're running – and I want to run my offense and we're running my offense and I'm going into year three where there's a lot on the line, A – 
I love keeping the continuity and the stability of a really smart man on my staff like Alex Atkins. So right off the bat, when we heard that Dillingham might be a candidate to go elsewhere and leave, what was it we said on this show? They better find a way to keep Alex Atkins, who's done it before. Yeah, if it comes down to a raise for Kenny or a raise for Alex. I wanted the raise to be for Alex. Alex. You're paying Alex a hundred times over. Correct. So we all knew that. Anybody who's been out to practice and watched Alex Atkins operate, the first thing we thought was, he's invaluable. You cannot lose that man. He has done more with less with that group than he really has a right to. And when you watch the way he coaches and the way he delivers a message and the way that he teaches, that is somebody you want to keep on your staff. So good. Boom. Part one, they did. But but if I'm Mike, not only do I want to do that and make sure I keep him, I'm going out swinging as the play caller. I'm not, you know, if it's not going to work and I'm going to put myself in a position to where I'm on a hot seat of any kind, I'm going to be responsible for that. You know, the thing I get excited about in general is there were so many times we saw this season in which a one-on-one matchup was schemed up. And the play might not Tons have been, Yeah, the play might not have even gone there. It might end up being a, you know, the the read option portion of the offense rather than the one-on-one that was schemed to the perimeter or the one-on-one that was schemed to the slot. Mm-hmm. And you go, "Good lord, I see what they're doing." I see it it's <sighs> Two there. Years worth of saying that. Two it's years there. Worth. Well, yeah, but the covid year you know, I, f- I felt like that was all watered down because it's like, well, they well, can't Well, the first 15 practice. plays we yeah. saw, yeah. Right, yeah, the, the script was great. Mm-hmm. But now what I get excited about is with these receivers, and I'm going to group all three of them together with McLean, you've got four options here because McLean showed some signs towards the end of the year of being able to win some battles and showed greater confidence. And, and He uh, got better. He's he was the- in the flow of the offense. He's also a body type that can create some separation in short areas. Now you have roles carved out. Pittman is likely going to be in the slot, right? Is this, is this what we believe? I would guess. And you've got Johnny Wilson, who is 6'7", right. and will block you, and right. is physical. It looks like a football player through and through. Yeah. So you can, and and if Wilson, you want to line him up closer to line of scrimmage because he's a mismatch in the slot for a safety, I could see that too. He does have the body type that looks like a hybrid between a receiver and a tight end. Mm-hmm. The modern day tight end is not, you know, 6'3", 250. They're like 6'7", a lot like this kid is, you know, if you want to be a, of the upper echelon. So I just get excited because I think you might have some dudes that even though they might not win one-on-ones like Alabama's receivers, they're going to win them more than we have been, which means some of these calls that have wide-open things, if you've got half a receiver, they're going to be open. Like That makes this offense more balanced and it should be more fun. Mike might be stumbling into the right time to be calling plays because you've got better players to call players for. Well, and the version of Jordan Travis as a passer that you expect to have. Now again, I'm not as bullish that that next step is coming for him to be consistently comfortable throwing from the pocket. I I hope it's possible, and I hope he does it. He showed signs late in the year of being a better passer. Still not great. The drop-back passing game was fairly non-existent with any degree of consistency. There were a, there were a lot of factors that weighed into that. One, receivers weren't any good. Yeah, the Florida game is that's Ooh, who's getting open ever. That'll hurt your feelings. Uh, your offensive line wasn't exactly suited to hold up on third and obvious. Any obvious passing downs, pressure was applied pretty consistently. So it's not solely at the feet of Jordan Travis, but he too has to get much better at, at consistently getting the ball out on time and in accuracy. So, you know, there's a lot to to look forward to. There's a lot to still wonder about. Uh, I don't I don't speculate towards the positive as much. Uh, after what we've seen these last two years, I also don't speculate towards the negative. I just think there's more growth, and I'm going to want to see it. I'm going to want to see it in the spring. I want to see what these guys look like. I want to see where this goes. So uh, I am excited. 
but it's tempered because my main concern right now is ensuring that, they, that this defensive line can be anything close to what it was uh, last year. That was a group that you could rely on week in and week out, that they were going to come in and stop the run. Well, that's the thing to me, and there's a good article about this on Warchant right now. Ira put it out today about you know the transfer portal and looking at the offense and what still needs to be addressed. I, I understand that, that defense, and I agree with you, is a bigger priority at this point based upon what we've done now in the transfer portal. But I feel like, and I know, that the offense has to be better next year in order to account for the defensive line. And the defensive line, you could still improve from here till kickoff in the fall against Duquesne and, and LSU, but it can't be as good as it was last year. It, I, I don't think it can. Those two ends were really, really oh, good. Were really good, good luck yeah. replacing them. If you do, then you just hit two home runs and and on on 103 mile an hour pitches that you <laughs> you never had a chance, but you just guessed and they went over the fence. So the offense has to be better to account for some of the losses that we're going to have in productivity on the defense. I just think you might have the tools to be better on offense because if you've got half of a receiving core. Then now the threat of everything else that we'd done when everybody knew it was coming is all the more real because you're more balanced. We just haven't been balanced. I'm looking at uh, that receiving core in said article that you referenced from Ira on Warchant.com. Ontario Wilson, Keyshawn Helton, Malik McLean. We talked about those guys. But adding Micah Pittman, Johnny Wilson. We'll see what Deuce Span is. Obviously, it's a burner who played quarterback and has five receptions. Maybe maybe he comes in and does something. He's got soft hands. <laughs> Those five catches show soft hands. Yeah, there are five catches at Illinois. Um, but he is 6'4". Don't let him be your Dylan Gibbons. He is 6'4". I'm not going to let him be. I'm not saying he can't. I'm not throwing down the way Corey did. I'm just saying that. You know. uh, and then, you know, you lose. You don't lose much. You lose uh, Burrell and Portier and, and Jordan. Or, no, they're depth. They're depth. They're on this roster. You're right. Yep. Departure would be parchment. That's it, right? Yep. Wait do you see what Jordan Young looks oh, like. Oh, Jesus. In perpetuity. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe the fifth year or 15th year will be the charm. It could be our LaMarcus Brutus. <laughs> Jeff Cameron, Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Well, this is uh, 12 years. In the making, I think it was 2010. In fact, let me double check this as I pull this up. Yeah, it was 2010. Remember when Miami Dolphins GM Jeff Ireland had to apologize to Des Bryant, Dallas Cowboys' first round pick, uh, during the Q and A of the pre-draft visit, because it was in that Q and A that Jeff Ireland asked Des Bryant. <laughs> His feelings about his mother being a prostitute, which she was, was not, or I don't know, was proven to be. But that's a toughie. That's a tough. That's a gotta. <laughs> out of you with a straight face. So, Des, um, we love your speed, your height, great hands. Got some question marks for you off the field. Now, obviously, uh, we all know you've had some setbacks in college. Uh, but specifically, thoughts on your mother being a prostitute? That feels a little out of left field. It oh, yeah. turned out it was. Um, Imagine that day. Like, you go in, you see all the doctors. They poke you and prod you yeah. like you're a piece of meat. And yeah. they, you know, things are a little snug in places. You don't want things to be snug because they're trying to make sure that you're healthy as a horse all the way through, right? 
And that's what he feel like. You feel like an animal, not a human being. And then he goes sit down with Jeff Ireland, who says, ah, boy, we'd love to have you a big part of this organization. Other than your hooker for a mother. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Watson once told this story in 2020. Now, he played for 16 years in the league, and that feels about right. But he said that uh, he recalled the process, and he referred to it as an interrogation. And uh, he said it felt like you were a criminal. Um, there was a guy that grabbed my wrist and said, I want to be able to do this as we ask you questions so I can feel your pulse. I want to know if you're lying to me. And then asked me, have you ever smoked marijuana? I said, no, I really have not. I've never smoked marijuana. Never smoked. He said, I think you're lying. I can feel your pulse is racing. Are you lying to us? I calmly said, no, I'm not, and I've never smoked marijuana. <laughs> he said that the guy was so adamant that for a minute there, quote, I thought, have I smoked marijuana? <laughs> uh, he said, at that point, I felt as if I was about to confess to a crime that I never committed. Um, it's like the hothead cop and there's something about Mary. Oh, yeah, yeah. You disgust me. But it's, it, uh, yeah, Eli Apple... Um, said that he was asked um, whether or not he loves men. Um, there are a lot of questions, a lot of interesting questions posed. So why do I bring this up? The NFL has issued a warning to all of its teams that they'll lose a draft pick and face significant fines if club representatives conduct themselves unprofessionally in interviews with any of the draft prospects this year. So a memo was obtained today by ESPN and other outlets that said a team would forfeit a draft pick and it would cost them up to $150,000 if they determined that a club represented, representative displayed conduct that was disrespectful, inappropriate, or in any way unprofessional during an interview process. Quote, we aim for dignity, respect, and professionalism during this process. It's that simple. That according to league executive Troy Vincent, himself a former player. Okay, so that begs the question. If Jeff Ireland wasn't the one that put him over the top as to change who the did? policy, yeah. who did and what the hell was the question? Oh, I'd love to know that one. Because it can't get much worse than, what about your hooker mother? Oh, it can. I mean. But it would lead to something you'd, you'd have to punch somebody yeah, for. Yeah, somebody might be assaulted if it got much worse than that, I would think. All clubs should ensure that prospective draft picks are afforded a respectful and professional NFL environment one that is consistent with state and federal law, for example, and our shared commitment to respect, diversity, and inclusion. The same is true of free agents, whom your club may consider signing. It's also important for your club to reinforce to prospective players the value your club places on character and the standards of conduct expected of everyone associated with the NFL. So that's where we're at today. But it reminded me, Tom, that we're getting closer and closer to some of our favorite weeks and months of the year, which is... We get the mocks that'll start free-flowing. You get the uh, smoke screens from teams. You get the debate, who's number one, I why, wonder, who you want. I wonder, based upon this year's quarterback class, is there going to be a ton of smoke screen action? Because it seems, that there, there always will be for, for some reason or, the, mm -hmm. or another. But if you think about it, looking at the top ten, if it shakes out the way that it looks like it's going to, the Jets and the Giants are going to have four picks in the top ten. So not trading with each other, not trading against themselves. Not a whole lot of quarterbacks to feel really excited about this year. 
This is a, I yeah. think this is a so year for pretty, trench play, pretty right? Big draft, yeah. Maybe maybe some wide receiver play. Well, defensive ends because you got two at the top right off the bat with Hutchinson who declared, and then obviously uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. So you got right, you got two elite ends. Not quite the stay the same as as the star power of a quarterback though. And so I, I, when it comes to smoke screens and draft theories and all that kind of stuff, I, I just wonder how much there of that subterfuge there actually will be. Or if it's just more of a straight-up year that's kind of boring because, you know, you have less of the sexy positions available. Draft's never boring, though. And, um, I mean, do you think, for example— This one's going to try with, with the Giants and the Jets having four picks in the top ten. That's, that's yikes. If you had your druthers, uh, you, would, you, you would take being a part of the Jets right now than you would the Giants oh, for many reasons. Yes. But, um, that Giants ownership is starting to remind me of the Mets woo! ownership. Thankfully, I'm not a Giants fan. Well, that Giants team and their head coach are mocked. I like the Jets head coach. Ruthlessly. I do too, a lot. Quarterback could work, might work. I think, no, yes. There's no guarantees that he's not going to work. Um, Zach Wilson took, that time off he took due to injury was smart. He got himself right, and he's looked better since coming back. He, he looked accurate, decisive. I think they probably feel pretty good about where he's headed. We'll see. A lot of time still, but he, he looks pretty good. Of all the young quarterbacks in the league, um, you know, the first-year guys, you probably feel best about him, ironically enough, other than Mac Jones. It's other than Mac Jones, but he can make better throws than Mac Jones can. And he we all knew that. He makes better throws, right. Mac, Mac, as a manager in year one, did a really, really good job. And, and, and also had a sort of a, an acumen for the game that uh, Bill Belichick noted early on in camp, and that is heady praise from a guy that values that immensely, especially at a position where it's pretty uh, important, especially if you're not, you know, an elite athlete. And Chris Collinsworth couldn't stop going on about him on Sunday Night Football when the Bucks played, so there's that too. He did have a good night. <laughs> he did. He had an extraordinary best night good possible night. to get to 16 points or whatever. Well, it was. I know, I know, and inclement weather and everything else, but yes, he, he did. Um, yeah, so those two guys you probably feel good about. Whereas you have these great unknowns in camps with teams that were poorly coached and either saw the head coach ousted or on the verge of being ousted. And I'm talking about Nagy in Chicago with Fields. So you don't know. Uh, there were days where I saw him and thought, oh, I don't, I don't, ooh, this is not good. And then other times I thought, oh, okay, okay. And then at the end of the day, you go, well, not exactly the greatest situation to be drafted into. And then there is Jacksonville, which, my goodness gracious. It always feels like there's a tantalizing amount of talent in Jacksonville, though. Like it was, it was real when they made the AFC well, Championship. I was going to say they were like, minutes, they were a quarter away, really, from going to the Super Bowl. Right. So. If they actually trusted Blake to make a throw, which I think that was the difference. If they trusted him to make the throw, which they did not, they did not, and for good reason. I don't know. I mean, I guess I would have made it. Yeah, but let him make the throw instead of you know punting the. Well, I'm not a Jacksonville fan. But there always seems to be at least four or five pieces on that roster that are going to be called up to the big leagues, so to speak, on other teams in the NFL, and they're going to be really good players. But it's enough for a coach to go. Like, I would go there before I would go to the Giants if I'm a head coach and, and there's an opening. Now, the Giants said they're, calling, they're bringing everybody back and, and running it back, which is insane. Ugh. But if, if I'm a head coach prospect, I'd rather go to Jacksonville and start with that group than I would to the Giants. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a... Mm. If you're a New York fan, good God. Football starts, you're like, yay, football. Like, they call it a town uh, of champions, but if you look since the turn of the century, no. and you look at championships and say Tampa versus championships in New York. Well, the Giants have held down their own, at least. They you know, got a couple. Got a couple. Yankees have 
two? No, they might have just the one. Giants have more than a couple. They've got three. No, Par- no. they beat the Patriots twice. No, but Parcells won. Oh, no, I'm talking about since the turn of the century. Oh, you I'm look sorry, at I didn't the turn yeah, of the yeah, yeah, So that's 20 years yeah, now, 22 yeah, years. 22 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But still, if you've got three in a 40-year in, in a year. You know, They've lifetime. got more media members. I'll give them that. Yeah. But wins, championships, I don't know. Kyle Hamilton, Derek Stingley, Evan Neal. You're looking at guys, uh, Garrett Wilson, trying to name you know, these top 10, top 25, uh, at least in terms of, of guys that uh, – I mean, golly, you're right. Quarterback, I'm pulling up all quarterbacks here. This is shaky. We'll see how they spin it. That's going to be the fun part. Pickett's 6'4", 225, and has a good arm. Not a great arm, a good arm. He's an interesting prospect. I'm not in love with everybody else. Jeff Capertrude, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chat TV. Kevin Chen, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Yesterday, we welcome in our new partners and friends at Preservation Financial Group. Have you ever been concerned about taking too much risk in the stock market? Have you ever heard of the rule of 100 or 100 minus your age? This is a rule of thumb that can help you estimate how much investment risk you should take based on your age and or stage of life. Let's say that you're age 65. Take the number 100, subtract your age, 65 from it. Your age, meaning the number 65, 65% of the amount of your money that should be safe, guaranteed, and protected. The leftover number, 35, 35% is the amount you can keep in the stock market, maybe in good dividend-paying stocks and mutual funds. Try not to cough there. My apologies. If you'd like a simple and easy-to-read report on how much risk you're currently taking, whether you're age 45 or 85, call or text Pete Tyson from Preservation Financial Group at 850-523-6118. That's 850-523-6118. Ask Pete for a no-obligation, easy-to-read report on your current risk level. That's Pete Tyson with Preservation Financial Group online at preservationfinancialgroup.com. Saturday, the Knowles taking on Louisville. You will not be in the Vista. I will be in the Vista. Got any hope? They come out angry after what we uh, bore witness to last night? Let's hope so. Let's hope they play with a defensive tenacity that we have yet to see because that's really where it's going to have to start. They don't defend at all. Well, their first offensive um, output that I saw was against Syracuse in terms of physically going into the building, and they were like one for 82 you know, so if they make their baskets, I think the the only way this team can win is to is to actually score in the eighties, and I I don't know how they're going to get there right now because I, I would count more on baskets being made as a path to victory than stopping. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's got to eat Hamilton up as a guy who's at its core, even though he changed uh, the overriding uh, offensive principles. He certainly cares about defense, and uh, to not see them defend or stay in front of the ball at all is. Brutal. You can see the frustration at times when they cut to the sidelines. Usually it's in the form of a smile. Yep. And or uh, kind of one of these looking back at Stan and Stan going, eh, what do you want? Yeah, this, is a, this is a toughie. This well, is a group that's going to need to cut their teeth this year, and we're going to have to go through those pains. If you think about where they were at halftime last night and what you would have thought to see to start the second half, that's where it gets really troubling because I kind of, you know, 
sat up and thought, all right, well, obviously they didn't play well in the first half. The numbers bear that out. It's dreadful. You you can't make, you know, what they made in the first half from a percentage standpoint. 22. Yeah, 7 of 31 is what I was thinking. You're right, 22%. Um, 7 of 31 is just, uh, okay, so you're not going to do worse than that is what I thought. All right, so let's let's get it together. And then you allow Wake to go on an 11-2 run, and most of those are dunks. It's capped off with a three, but those are all transition, one-bounce, layup, dunk. All right, well, that's not what we do if you're trying to climb back into a game. They also got really unlucky. I think it was the first possession where they are locked up, playing great, and that kid shoots the fade uh, at the end of the shot clock after they had played impeccably. And it's almost like that one shot broke their will. And I thought, well, that... That's not the, the, the intestinal fortitude we're used to seeing. That that was a, uh, really? So we played hard on defense and the kids still made the shot? Yeah, well, the other guys on scholarship too, man. You can feel it for stretches offensively that, you know, that this group looks at each other over the years and they say, who's going to make the basket? And we had three or four answers if somebody said, yeah, it's mine. No well, you always had a guy that you thought could do that, right? Right, and, and I'm not even just talking about Trent's ability to get to the rim at Which crunch time. Huge. I'm talking about there's 11 minutes to go in the first half. And you're going through a bit of a dry spell. Had three or four empty possessions in a row. You had built up a 12-point lead. It's down to three. You could really use somebody to hit a shot here because it's starting to get a little tense in the building. And this is home or away. These things happened. You kick it out, and Anthony Polite last year was one of those guys. Uh, Terrence Mann. You know, he, he would draw a foul, get to the basket, make one, and one. There you go. Three-point play. Of a cell, DeAndre of, Gallen, yeah, a lot of guys. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, but you always had that person, and, and there were times at different points of the season, the really special team was one that it didn't matter. Any night could be anybody. They'd go off and go nuts. But the guys would look to to get them out of the jam. Who are we looking to? Like last night to start the game, the first couple of possessions that Malik hits those shots, he's bailing us out of long possessions with contested, very, very difficult shots. Caleb Mills at times has been somebody that can go get you a big basket if you need it. He's certainly going to be a volume player no matter what. He was 2 of 13 but last night, Tom. Exactly. You feel it in the half court. It's like, who is going to be the person to take command? And the next thing you know, there's four seconds left on the shot clock. we got to heave something up because we don't have an answer. Oddly, I, you may just have to turn to Matthew Cleveland. Seems to be the most talented of the bunch. Uh, you're not going to... Well, let me just go through the roster and let's see who you turn to. Uh... You know, listen again. I like Malik Osborne, but you're not going to return to Raekwon. You're not going to say, "Okay, let's turn to Raekwon Evans." Nope. Uh, Caleb Mills, right now, not so much. Anthony Polite, definitely not. Um, John Butler, no, insignificant in last night's game. Uh, Wyatt Wilkes, definitely no. Uh, Cameron Fletcher, maybe in due time. In time, not in now. time, not yeah. right now. Let's see. If I need a steal in a basket, that, uh, Cameron, yeah, he'll cut off the pass. I think it's going to end know. up being Matt, Matthew Cleveland. Yeah, Tim or Malik. Yeah. Golly. What a bind they find themselves in right now. There aren't too many favorable matchups. So they did have a favorable matchup when they played Missouri. They had a favorable matchup when they played NC State because those teams don't defend at anybody. So, you know, you get into a game of skill and who can beat the other off the bounce and, and you know, get to the rim. And, and Forest State can do that if you're not going to be willing to defend. So that, that, that helped. Also, even last year, it makes you realize that how difficult it can be. But in the beginning of the year, Remember those first few games? You got to see that Scotty Barnes and MJ Walker, before he got hurt, they were on the same page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. were very complimentary of each other's games. And that's hard to do. 
especially with a fifth-year guy and a, and a teenager, you know, playing together. And yet it looked kind of natural. That's the other thing about watching this offense. No matter what the rotation is, it doesn't look like we fit each other very well. It looks like we've got some square pegs and round holes given the way the roster is built. It's not that anybody's bad or a bad apple. It's just that their games don't complement each other as neatly as we've had in the last few years. You know, one of the things over the years that it's been remarkable, and it it, it speaks to the created culture and, and you know the buy-in and all that good stuff, and the unselfish nature, one of the reasons that the team is so popular and, and well uh, thought of and liked and, and appreciated and rooted for, I think, that by the vast majority of uh, Florida State basketball fans, or even you know certainly knowledgeable ones, um, is because they are so unselfish. Because guys that are lottery picks can come off the bench, and you know it, it's crazy, right? But this might be the team where you don't do that, where you say to the most talented guy who has a chance to go in the first round, "All right, take over, man." I mean, just. You know, because we've watched other programs do that with a superstar player. Oh, this would be the year for Anthony Edwards, yeah, wouldn't it? Right, yeah, right. Where you're just kind of yeah. like, all right, my man, I need you to drop 37, which you want to do. Everybody anyhow. else crashed the boards. Yeah, yeah. Anthony's going to do what he does, and let's go. Yeah, they're they're always guys. Like you would find a guy and go, well, I hate that he. That's not ideal, and it's not the way Leonard wants to play. Just feels like maybe we we're going to have to put it on the shoulders of a couple of guys and just say. Do your best, man. Let's see if we can buy in a little bit more on the defensive end with everybody, but uh, offensively. But for better or worse, is it in Leonard Hamilton's nature to do that? I don't know that it is. And it might just be one of those things that you have to accept because when you have a down year, you have a down year, but you're going to have four good ones right behind it. Is, God, that, is that the new definition of this program? Just don't, at 7-5, and five, I just don't want to accept that this is a wash, but it feels like it, and it shouldn't feel like it. At 7-5, and five, we're right. Come on, man. It uh, feels three like more it. games, we'll yeah, know. Yeah, you're right. We'll come back, get some picks out there. Jeff Cambridge at 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. All right, let's do this thing. Let's have some fun with it. Let's bring in our friends from North Florida Payroll Services, locally owned for nearly 15 years, offering payroll and HR services, including full online applicant onboarding and integration into payroll Save your company money and headaches today. Head to NorthFordaPayroll.com. Hey, Big Daddy. Having some red Russians tonight? We'll know in about 47 seconds. Into an open wing. It's picked up by Dowdy. An empty net. He scores. Hot damn. Big Daddy's done it again. Red Russians all around, Teddy. All right, Big Daddy. I'm going to give you an NCAA game. Iowa did win last night. Did not cover. One and one on the year with my college basketball bets, if you're wondering at home. We're just one and one. But tonight, we cross the threshold into above 500 selections for the NCAA basketball season. And we take North Carolina minus two and a half against Notre Dame. Wow. Okay. North Carolina on the road against Notre Dame. And we'll give you another one, Tom. Woo! Daily double. The celebration returns, and my heart is warmed, and I mean that. You know I get giddy about this stuff. Tomorrow afternoon it begins. The Century Tournament of Champions in Hawaii, and a new PGA Tour season begins. I understand it's a wraparound season. It never really ends. But we all look at this as the true start of 
the PGA Tour season, right? The FedEx Cup race begins now. Don't we feel pretty strongly about that? And here's my selection for you. Couple of them. We could kind of get a little crazy if you want. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow on Redemption Thursday and get real crazy with this. That'd be a little too late, though. Well, no Hawaii time. You might get away with it. Yeah. Well, here you go. Century Tournament of Champions. I've got a bet on an outright winner, which is dangerous and that crazy. Is dangerous. Like, what are we doing? JT. Just no. Little pizza money. Little pizza money. By the way, if you take JT as the winner, just an outright winner, Justin Thomas, you do so at plus nine hundred. Okay, I mean that might be a worth. Hey, uh, yeah, a I pizza mean, money. He's won Get there a lot before. More pizza. He likes it. Yeah, I mean, I think he's due to have a good year actually. But here's the guy. Here's the guy. Xander Shoffley at twelve to one. Give me Xander Shoffley to win this tournament. He's been a contender at, at this 12, tournament. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. At twelve to one, and it's a tournament that kind of resembles other tournaments where he's played well and or won. So I, I like it here. Xander Shoffley at twelve to one. Now, if you want to have a lot of fun with all of this, you can take like the matchups in the Century of Champions. So, for example, I would like uh, Taylor Gooch, who played well at the end of last year, to just hammer Kevin Na. Na's going to take a beating here because he doesn't have the length. So I would look at something like that. This is where it gets fun. This is where being a degenerate gambler is to be celebrated because, man, you can get into meat and potatoes here. You can get seven, eight, nine bets in a tournament. I'd play JT, and here's why. He's he's already like the best golfer that's there, probably, when he's, whoa, playing, whoa, whoa. When he's playing his best. I was going to say, there are, there, this is a loaded. It's a tournament of champions. I understand yes, that. But he's yes. also won there twice. Yes. He, he I think he's a runner-up another time. Uh, the salt factor was real. I saw him interviewed yesterday, and they said, so what are the things you're working on uh, this offseason? He goes, I'm not going to tell you what I'm working on. Ooh, all right. A little salt from JT. Bones back on the bag, too, man. He is, uh, this is, it's time to get, it's time to get it all, man. Golf is starting. Good work out of you. Way to hang in there. Good job, Matthew, back at the house. Thanks to all of you. You guys, be well. Peace. Take care. Talk to you tomorrow.